Good morning, Houston Northwest. How's everybody doing today? All right. If you have your Bible, go ahead, take it out. Open it up with me. Head over to Colossians 1. We're going to be in verse 21. Starting in verse 21 today, as you're headed over there, let me make just a couple of quick announcements about Christmas services. All right, a couple of things. First of all, we have four identical services that'll be happening starting this coming Saturday. We will have two on Saturday, 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., um, and then two next Sunday morning on the 24th, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So um, you can pick from any of those four services. Um, all four will be identical. All four will be candlelight. All four will be in this room. We'd love to have you at any of them. My hunch, just a hunch, is that the 3 p.m. on the 23rd will be the least crowded. So if crowds are not your thing, that would be the one I would shoot for. But hey, you do you. Um, just letting you know. So we'll have those four services. We still have available invite cards and we have available our Advent devotionals. Please pick one of those up uh, before you head out today. Particularly hope you'll grab one of these invites and invite your friends, neighbors, that sort of thing. Um, we do still need 45 volunteers for our Christmas services. It's pretty easy. If you can uh, show up, for instance, at the 3 p.m. and either serve or attend, then you can then uh, serve or attend the 5 p.m. and the same thing on Sunday, serve or attend 9-11 and then do the other, the 11 a.m. I uh, would love it if you would help us pass out sweet treats, maybe help us pass out candles, greet folks as they come in. Um, we anticipate hundreds of guests and we would appreciate it if you would help us on this day, hnw.org slash Christmas and you can sign up to help serve on that day. Really, really appreciate it. All right, I'm gonna give a brief introduction to the Bible for those of us in the room who may be new to the Bible. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, tells us about their need for a rescuer, for a redeemer. Uh, they use the word Messiah. Uh, then in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, we find out who that rescuer, that redeemer is. We find out that his name is Jesus and that Jesus is not just a teacher or a prophet, but that he is God in flesh, that he's born of a virgin, lives a sinless human life, that he shows us the way to live through his teaching and through his life, that he dies a sacrificial death on the cross, and that he's raised from the dead three days later. His followers were so convinced that he was the Messiah after he was raised from the dead that they went to the ends of the earth telling anyone who would listen that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So we're preaching that same message here 2,000 years later that you can have forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternity, and the power to live today if you place your faith in Jesus. So we're gonna be reading today in Colossians. Colossians has an ancient hymn, an ancient song that we've been looking at that tells us about this great Jesus, and we'll be finishing that up today as we head into Christmas. So I'm gonna pray over us, and then we'll jump in. So would you please bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can hear from you today. And God, we ask, would you please speak to each of us exactly what we need to hear today? Father, we, <laughs> we don't wanna walk out of here just saying, oh, well, that was a, a cool factoid. We wanna walk out of here saying, I, I heard you today, Lord. And then, God, would you give us the courage to act on what we hear to obey? We love you, God. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. The scripture says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. This is the word of the Lord. So my sons have come home. They've returned from one in seminary, the other one in college, and they've descended upon the house, which means that there has been a lot of cooking happening at my house. Um, now, I want you to know, uh, there's something that's kind of weird that happens. We didn't understand this. I kind of remember it vaguely, but, you know, whenever the guys were younger, they never really celebrated Joy's cooking. But then once they lived on cafeteria food, right, they come home and immediately they're like, Mom, would you please make, boom. Now, for those of you who don't know, my wife does not enjoy cooking. Like, honestly, she hates it. But for them... I mean, she's in there, she's turning into, you know, a great chef because that's what they want. Why? Because whenever you love someone, you'll often do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. That's a pretty high expression of love. But I think there's an even higher expression of love. Um, I think about it whenever I see parents of newborns, right? So parents of newborns, you see them, they're exhausted. Now, why are they exhausted? I mean, you know, that baby is up screaming in the middle of the night and what do they do? Do they just lay there? No. Well, hopefully not, right? They get up, and they go, and they bring them food. They bring the, the baby food. They, bring, they clean the baby if the baby's dirty. Why do they do this? Because the baby cannot do it for himself or herself. I would say that this is really the highest expression of love, is doing something for another that they cannot do for themselves. This is the highest expression of love. Uh, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this great word for that. He called it vicarious representative action, acting on behalf of someone who can't do it. He used this great word, Stelvertretunk. You know, great word, right? You'd be like, man, I want to remember that, right? It's just a, a great word reminding you that Jesus did things for us we could not do for ourselves. And honestly, that's what Colossians 1, 21 and 22 is about. And that's what I want us to see today is that Jesus is the highest expression of love and teaches us actually how to love because we are learning how to do things that we could not do apart from him. And he does things for us we could not do. And so I want us to think, what are the things that Jesus did that we could not do? So let's look at this. First, he brought about reconciliation. Look in verse 21. Once... You were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. We were separated from God. Now, the scripture is clear that God's desire was to set each of us, to place us in a garden and to have us tend the garden, to join him in the cultivation of the earth, to bring about his shalom, his flourishing, so that the earth might experience his full redemptive glory. But that was broken by sin. But we see his intention from the very beginning in Genesis chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. As a partner in creation, as someone who would join him in the cultivation of the world, we were intended to be co-laborers with God, but we ended up becoming alienated from him because of sin and temptation. 
Some of us in this room, even right now, we oscillate. We sometimes join God in this redemptive work, but then we often struggle and we participate fully in activities that are in direct contradiction to God's redemptive desire, his desire to cultivate this earth. And this is what Paul is describing in verse 21 when he says that we were alienated and hostile in our minds and expressed in our actions. He's saying, you abandoned the original project. You were supposed to join God in this redemptive work and you left it behind. Many of us, probably here in this room, can remember times in our past when we lived in direct hostility to God. Maybe some of us actually in this room are still actively participating in that hostile life. Most of us probably, though, are a little more complicated, a little more nuanced. It's like Sundays, I wake up, I'm like, man, I'm ready to join God in his redemptive activity. By Monday afternoon, eh, not so much, right? And what we need to be reminded of is that Christ died to bring us into a reconciled position with God. Many of us are afraid of what God really wants for us, and a lot of people are walking around thinking that God's predominant posture towards us is one of wrath, anger, and judgment. But the predominant position that God holds over his people is one of love. That he, he wants you to know his desire is to bring you in, to have reconciliation with you, to bring you in, to say, work with me, be in the garden, let's toil together, let's cultivate together, let's build something beautiful together, join me in my redemptive work. That is how God has hardwired humanity. My friend Nick Burleson, I love the way that he puts it, God isn't out to get you, he's out to get you home. God wants to bring you back into this Edenic, idyllic state where you're living in harmony with him in the midst of a world that's falling apart at the seams. And Jesus had a rescue plan to bring you into reconciliation. Uh, this past week, my family and I watched that classic of American cinema, Equalizer 2, right? <laughs> I cannot recommend this movie to you as your pastor for a variety of reasons, <laughs> has, you know, a lot of violence, there's a lot of language that is not befitting the pulpit, but the upside is you get to see Denzel do a lot of equalizing, so, you know, kind of <laughs> got to take the good with the bad, right? Now, at any rate, in that movie, there is a scene, there is a moment where a young man, a character in the movie named Miles has been mixed up with the wrong crowd. And he is sitting in an apartment, pondering, participating in a drive-by shooting. So he's being handed a loaded gun and being told what he has to do to defend his honor. And about that time, who busts into the room? That's right, Robert McCall, a.k.a. the equalizer, played by Denzel Washington. Guns drawn, yeah, I mean, I was fired up too, boom. <laughs> Guns drawn, he comes in, he's ready to go, and he is ready to rescue Miles. What I want you to hear today is that Jesus' rescue plan may not look exactly like Robert McCall's. You probably don't see the Glock in verse 22. But what I'm here to tell you is that his rescue plan is even better. It's more cosmic. It's more grand. And it will change you. And today what I want you to hear is that there is a rescue plan, a rescue plan to bring you out of alienation and into reconciliation, into right relationship with God. And this is what he did. Back to the passage. He next, he identified with us. He identified with us. In verse 22, he has reconciled us. How? By his physical body. 
by his physical body. He uses, Paul uses the Greek word there, sarks. Sarks is the word for flesh. Most of the time when Paul uses that word, he's talking about fleshly desires. Most of the time it's in a negative connotation. But here, intentionally, he says he's taken on a sarks soma. He has taken on a physical body or directly or rather literally translated a fleshly body. He's taken that on so that he can identify with you. Jesus understands us. He knows what we have gone through. We lost my mother-in-law many years ago to early onset Alzheimer's. We lost my grandmothers to Alzheimer's. Now, prior to my grandmother getting Alzheimer's, I didn't really understand the disease. I knew it, sort of. I knew that basically you would lose your memory. But I didn't understand the process behind it, the long goodbye. I didn't know what sundowners was. I didn't understand the anxiety and the paranoia that often went with the disease. I didn't understand how difficult it was. But after we lost two grandmothers and a mother-in-law, two Alzheimer's, now whenever I talk to someone and they say that they are walking through Alzheimer's or they're going through this, immediately, do you know what emotion I feel? Compassion because I understand what they're walking through better than I did 30 years ago because I've gone through it. And what I want you to hear is that what Paul is saying is that reconciliation was possible through the physical body because in that physical body, Jesus understood what we experienced. The truth of the matter is, is that common experience creates compassion. And so whenever I have walked through Alzheimer's in the same way that you've walked through Alzheimer's, we have a bond together and it creates this sense of compassion within us where we understand one another. And what the scripture is trying to tell us is that Jesus has walked through things and it has created a deep compassion in Jesus for his people. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. By taking on flesh, Jesus allowed himself to be tempted in every way so that he could experience temptation and yet remain apart from it. But whenever we give in to temptation, he's not sitting there saying, how could you do that? He's not heaping shame upon us. He understands because he's been tempted. He's walked through the same temptations that we have walked through. And what happens is, is that compassion is created in his heart. But then what's crazy is, is that it then works within us. Um, Saint Anselm of Canterbury wrote a, a, a famous classic of Christian theology called Why Did God Become Human? And in that he says, in the incarnation of God, there is no lowering of the deity, but the nature of man, we believe, to be exalted. In other words, as we come to realize that Jesus has compassion for us, it actually raises our own human nature to a point where we can have compassion on others. I don't know if this makes sense, but the more that you go through, when you have that moment that creates compassion in you, let's just use Alzheimer's in my life as that example. When you walk through that, you experience compassion with people who also are walking through Alzheimer's because there's a direct connection point. But here's the weird thing about how compassion works. When you open your heart to experience compassion for someone who's walking through the same thing you're experiencing, 
when you meet someone who's experiencing something that you have no experience with, no common uh, kind of understanding of, somehow, since you've already opened the door for compassion, you're able now to extend compassion theoretically over here. Say, I've never been through that, but I can imagine what that's like. Does that make sense? As Jesus has compassion on us, the door to our heart is open and compassion is made and we're able to be more compassionate. And this is what I want you to hear. We couldn't do that on our own. But Christ created that in us. We love because he first loved us. He identified with us. But not only did he identify with us, he died for us. And this is what Paul says. He has now reconciled you by his physical body. How? Through his death. So you're reconciled in his physical body. The incarnation is a miracle. God had to take on flesh. But it's not just that. You had to then get reconciliation by passing through his death. He died for us. I think that maybe the, the thing that we all struggle with the most and the thing that we need Jesus to identify with us in is not just the temptation but is the experience of having a physical body because the truth of the matter is, is that our bodies are breaking down and Jesus steps into that reality. You know, I, I was talking to one of my friends about uh, my workout routine and I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to do this and this, and, you know, lift some weights and then he, he just said the meanest thing to me. He said, you know, be careful because, you know, you're almost 50. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? You take that back? Um, then I thought about it. Okay, he's, he's right, all right. But what he was trying to say is, is hey, Steve, if you, inj if you overdo it, if you injure yourself in working out, it'll be harder for you to recover. Harder for you to recover because you're not getting any younger. And the truth of the matter is, is that the older we get, the more our bodies betray us. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus did not simply step into emotional and spiritual compassion. He stepped into physical compassion by taking on a body that, that was tired, that was hungry, that experienced all of the things that physical bodies experienced. He did that because he didn't want us to simply be identified with spiritually and emotionally, but also physically. And he even then identified with us in the ultimate expression of physical identity. He went straight through death. Jesus allowed his body to be broken to be the path for reconciliation. In other words, Jesus bore the marks of love on his body so that he would demonstrate to us how deeply he loved us. And this is what we often do when we live love. When we love another deeply, we will regularly bear physical marks of the way in which we have shown love to other people. I, uh, I served in, in a church in a, in a small town for about 10 years when I was younger. And there was a couple in that church. Their names were John and Catherine. An older couple and Catherine had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And when I met them, the Parkinson's was mild. But the longer that I was there, over like the next seven to eight years, Catherine's body began to slowly but surely break down, eventually resulting in her death about, I think, seven or eight years into our time there. And John was just such a faithful husband. He, he fed her, he clothed her, he transported her, took her to therapy, participated in physical therapy with her, 
But I want you to know that at her funeral, I noticed that those seven or eight years had taken a deep toll, not only on him emotionally, but had shown up on his body physically. His hair had thinned and grayed significantly, more than it should have in that time period. He had lost a ton of weight. His eyes had large bags under them, circles under them, just from, from tiredness. This is the way that bodies work. When we push them to demonstrate our love for others, the bodies show those marks. And what I want you to hear today is that Jesus willingly took the marks of love into his physical body to demonstrate his love for you. At the end of the service today, we're going to come to the table. And what I want us to recognize is that when we do, there is so much happening in that meal, that act, that we often just run by. And I wanna take a moment to unpack that because of those marks of love that have been brought into the body of Jesus. In his book, The Paradise King, Blaine Eldridge notes that in the ancient world, altars were usually actually tables. In other words, when you would come to an altar, it wasn't just an act of worship, but it was an act of communion to have a meal with a God. So we're familiar with the altars, for instance, in the book of Leviticus, where animal sacrifices were given and blood is given up there. But what we don't typically think is, is that this is a place where people were in their minds coming to have a meal with the Lord God. Uh, one of my friends recently went to Greece and sent a, a picture of a temple that was in ancient Greece. As we look at this image up here, what I want you to see, um, you, you kind of see the, uh, the gutter down the left side here. And that gutter is downhill, and it's here so that um, blood and water could run from the altar downhill, because it wasn't just in the book of Leviticus that burned sacrifices and animal sacrifices were all offered. This was a common practice across the ancient world. And people were coming to the sacrifice, giving their animals, because they were bringing meat to feed the gods, right, and to, to sort of have this communal moment. Then other gods, there were bloodless, but they were still tables. Um, I think we have another image of, a, of an altar that was offered to the Greek god Pan. And this was a place where people would come and sit food sacrifices on the altar so that they could commune with God. This is why, for instance, if you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, um, if you haven't, you should go and read it this afternoon, book of 1 Corinthians, um, there's a big controversy in it about food sacrifice to idols. Why? because they understood that that food had been involved in the worship of another deity, communing with another deity, and so many people felt that that was a betrayal of God eating that, that food. But what I want us to see is, is then, it's not an accident that Jesus makes the moment where we will remember him into eternity and look forward to his return, a meal. And this is why we come to a table we no longer have to come to a table where we bring sacrifice because he has now brought the sacrifice. But now we come to a table where we remember that he has borne the marks of love in his body and his body is broken and his blood is spilled and we remember that at the table which acts as an altar of our worship. And we do that because we say we no longer have to eat with these other gods, but we meet with the true God and we meet with him in communion and in a meal. And no longer do we have to bring the sacrifice. He's already brought it. 
And so what we recognize and we remember is that the act of love has already been taken care of through his sacrifice. He allows his body to be broken and marked so that then he can do this final thing that we, we cannot do. And that's what verse 22 says. He makes us blameless. He makes us blameless. In verse 22, he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to do what? To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not holy, faultless, or blameless apart from Jesus. I have plenty of problems. But what we see here is that Jesus' body is not only broken, but somehow in the breaking, he opens it up and then allows us to be brought in and enveloped in his body. So uh, Legos were a big thing around my house for a season. I've got some, uh, some Legos here. Um, so this is a TIE fighter for those of you who don't know. If you don't know, I'm sorry. You've had a, a deprived life. But um, so, so this is a, a Lego kit, Lego model. It's great. Here's a piece. Now, I can just sit here and hold this Lego piece, and it's a separate piece. It belongs into this. This is where it fits in. But until I put it in there, it remains separate. But if I'll just take the, the time to come over here and put it on, then it suddenly now is part of it and it functions. And no longer is it separate, but it's now part of the whole. And this is what I want you to hear today, is that Jesus, by allowing his body to be broken, it is not a senseless breaking, but it is an intentional breaking that has a purpose. And the purpose is to incorporate you into the whole. You see, he doesn't want you to be left out isolated, out in the cold. He doesn't want you to be separate. He wants you to be brought in, to be incorporated. And as the body is broken open, what he says then is that you ought to be folded in. There is no accident that the church of Jesus Christ is referred to in the scripture as the body of Christ. Because as the body of Jesus is broken and opened and you're incorporated in, you then are covered with the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus, which makes you, as verse 22 says, holy, faultless, and blameless. And this is why whenever we gather together, this is the body of Christ. See, Jesus had an individual, physical, corporeal body, but whenever we get together, this is the body of Christ because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And all together, we're the body of Christ. So when we come to the table, we're remembering that the body was broken, but we're also remembering that the body was reconstituted right here in the church. And that happens because we're filled by the Spirit. The miracle of the incarnation is that Jesus has passed through death so that he can bring you to be into the body as well. He doesn't want you to just have a human body. He wants you to have a human body being filled with the Spirit, lifted up to live the life that God intended you to live. He wants to bring you all the way back to the garden to say, live the life of cultivation and of shalom and of redemption that you were intended to live if you will step into it. Let's go back to the equalizer too for a second. So Denzel comes busting in, guns drawn. Miles is on the couch and he says, come on Miles, let's go. 
Now, the truth of the matter is, if you've watched the film, you know Miles will have consequences no matter what he chooses. If he chooses to stay, he betrays the life that he honestly wants to have in his heart, but he doesn't have to fear revenge from this group of gang members. But if he gets up and he leaves, then he can be rescued and returned to the purpose that he really wants. Here's the crazy thing. Robert McCall has done all the work. He's busted in. He's got the drop on the guys. But Miles still has to choose whether or not he's going to get up off the couch. You see, what's true today is that Jesus has done the work. He has entered into flesh. He has passed through death. He has been raised from the dead. He has made anyone in this room who has believed in him holy, faultless, blameless. But you've got to choose whether or not you're going to follow him today into wholeness. You have to choose. Will you get up off the couch and will you choose to follow Jesus? The choice to abide in Jesus is not a once in a lifetime decision. Now, hear me on this. The choice to come to faith, to experience and receive salvation, you do that once. But the choice to abide in Jesus every day. Every day. And what some of us have struggled with is the recognition that we have come to faith, but, but we're not really sure yet if we've thrown our lot in all the way to be part of God's redemptive, reconciling plan in the world. And he's saying, leave all that behind and come with me. Others of us, we've never said yes to Christ. We've never decided to make Jesus our king, and what's happening is, is that we're spinning our wheels, working on projects that run counter to God's reconciling plan for the world. God's redemptive purposes for our heart and our life. And the reason that we haven't been able to move forward is because we have refused to get up off the couch and receive the rescue. And what I want you to hear today is that Jesus has done the work. He's just saying, come on, let's go. Come on. And so I don't know where you're at today as we barrel towards the final week leading up to Christmas, but I can guarantee that many of us in this room are in one of those two places where we've got one foot in the garden and another foot in the world. And what we need to do is just fully put ourselves under God's redemptive promise or others of us who thought that we had no power, but today have heard the truth that God has done whatever we needed to rescue us if we will come. But you have to take a step. And so today what I want you to hear is that Jesus has done the thing that you could not do for yourself. And he did that because he loves you deeply. He is not here today seeking to shame you he is not here today seeking to push you away. He is saying, I've done it all. Just come with me. Get up. Walk with me. Let's go forward. When we do that, we experience love. When we experience love, we can give love. And the only way that we move forward is by finally saying yes to that love.
Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. And God, thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, my prayer is that today we would rest in you. And God, that we would receive the gift of Jesus that's been given. God, for my brothers and my sisters in this room who have struggled to receive fully the truth that you've given, God, I pray that they would today, that they would stop living with one foot in the world and one foot in the garden, but would instead fully step into the garden of redemption today, that they would choose to have a daily rhythm of abiding in Christ. And then, God, I just wanna pray for anyone in this room right now who has yet to say yes to Jesus, but today is ready to do so. So everyone has their head bowed, except for me. And I just wanna ask, if that's you, if you said that today, you've said yes to Jesus for the first time, and you're ready to, to receive him, to follow him, to make him the king of your life, to, to choose to follow his way, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you today. Say, that's me. We had two people in the first service who did that. Anybody in this service today, say they're ready to say yes to Jesus. Would you just raise it up really high where I can see you? Raise it up high for me. Okay, I see you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else, just raise it up high where I can see it. Okay, ma'am, I see you too. Thank you. Beautiful. Anybody else? Okay, I see you over there. I got you. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, see you, bud. Who else? Anybody else? Raise it up just high so that I can see it. I'm gonna just pray for those who just raised their hands. I, I saw four, uh, three adults, one child. Maybe there's others. I just wanna pray for you right now. Lord, thanks for these new brothers and sisters who said, yep, they're ready to follow you. And I just ask God that they would just join me in this prayer wherever they are right now, just quietly to themselves. God, thank you for loving me. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. God, I'm, I'm ready to follow you now. I'm ready to make you, Jesus, my king. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Church, can we just give a round of applause for the four people who just raised their hand? Yeah, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.